0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel. We are in such a good text this evening. Oh, it's like dessert before dinner. I love it. John 15. The title of my message for you tonight is Stay Connected. I just want you to leave with that thought. Just linger on that. We're here to stay connected. For some of us, we're we're getting reconnected to Jesus, but hopefully you know him to some degree, and tonight is about deepening and strengthening your connection to him. And as we make our way into John 15, I want to let you know that the scene has changed. At this point in the evening, the disciples have now left the upper room. And they're making their way with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is situated right there at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And as they walked, they would have passed through several vineyards which surrounded the ancient city of Jerusalem... Never one to miss a teaching moment or opportunity. Jesus pauses at some point, and we can imagine him even taking one of those tendrils of a vine with a cluster of grapes into his hands, and he begins to use the vineyards that he's walking through as a metaphor or an analogy of the kind of relationship, the kind of intimacy that he wants to enjoy with his disciples. And so that's what we begin reading here in John 15. He says... Menó is the word in the Greek, remain. Some of your versions say, abide, abide in me, Jesus says, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All the words we just read are in red in my bible if you have a red letter bible that means Jesus is talking and so that places these among the final words that Jesus ever spoke to his disciples his betrayal and subsequent arrest are imminent so what's uppermost on his mind in these final moments gardening (laughs) now if it were me I think I would have used the opportunity to lay out a detailed strategy for my disciples of how I wanted things run in my absence. Guys, this is what it looks like. Pull out the blueprints. Here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to handle things. Or perhaps I would have used this opportunity to devise an escape plan from my pursuers and ultimate captors. Yet instead of doing those things, what do we see Jesus doing? He talks to his disciples. About vines and branches. Now the imagery of a vine with its branches and fruit, it was a familiar metaphor and picture in Israel. In the Old Testament, God often likened his people, the nation of Israel, to a choice vine. The prophets were also fond of using the vine to to symbolize God's favor and God's blessing. The promised land itself was often even symbolized by fruitful vines. In fact, the vine was so central to the national identity of Israel that they had vines embossed on their coinage. So there's an air of familiarity in what Jesus says here. Yet there's another sense in which what Jesus says here is radically new and very different than anything they'd ever heard before. Why is that? Because here, Jesus isn't just referencing the vine in a nationalistic sense, but he's pointing to himself and he's saying, guys, I am the true vine. I am your source. Now, this is the seventh and final I am statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. We've already walked through six other ones. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, so on and so forth. And here Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And each one of these I am statements is profound and significant. They reveal something to us of of Jesus in his relationship to God, but also they reveal to us how God wants to relate to us. So what is it that God wants to reveal to us about his relationship with us through this picture, this metaphor? In referring to himself as the vine and to his disciples as the branches, Jesus is essentially saying to them, you know, just as the vine is the source, the life source for the branches, and is, the branches are completely dependent on the vine for just everything, so too are you to be totally dependent on me. You see, think about a branch. Apart from the vine, the branch is absolutely and utterly useless. It serves no purpose. It's only good for tossing into the fire. That's what Jesus said. Why? Well, the wood of a grapevine, it's not like a tree trunk. It can't be used to build things. It's not strong enough for that. And and it's not thin enough or pliable enough to be used as cordage either. The branch of the vine, it serves only one purpose and one purpose only. It exists to produce grapes. And in that sense, it becomes very, very useful. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that your life, your purpose for existing is similar to that branch. You exist to produce fruit. That is God's desire for your life, that you would be fruitful. Now, this is something that you can see throughout Scripture, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God creates the heavens and the stars and the galaxies and the planet and the, the sun and the moon and the, the, the sand and the sea and all the rest. And then he takes Adam and Eve and he places them in this picturesque, beautiful, perfect paradise called Eden. It was a garden. And there he would meet with them in the cool of the day and he would walk with them and he would commune with them. What a glorious existence that must have been. And here were his instructions to Adam and Eve. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And with that one utterance, God sets forth his plan for all of humanity, his desire for you. And for me, is that we would be fruitful. And so this idea of fruit, it dominates the passage of scripture we've just read. It's underscored by the fact that Jesus mentions fruit or some form or version of fruit seven times in eight verses. He talks about his desire for his disciples to bear fruit, to bear more fruit, to bear much fruit. And later on, he's going to talk about them bearing fruit that remains clearly Fruitfulness is something Jesus desired for them, and by extension, us, because we're all his disciples. This is God's heart for us. So the question I want to begin considering with you is this one. What does that mean? What does it look like in the life of a believer to live a fruitful existence? And what we find is in scripture, fruit manifests itself in a variety of ways. But there are three primary ways that I want to look at with you. And and this is what it means. This is what it looks like to be a fruitful Christian. It's going to show up in your character first. It's also going to manifest itself in your conduct. And then that will translate into more and more conversions. Let's talk about each of those things. Number one, fruit looks like character. We see this in Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. This is Galatians 5:22 and 23. Can we read this together out loud? It's in your notes. He says, "The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control." Notice that phrase, "the fruit of the Spirit." So when the Spirit takes up residence in your life, it will begin to produce the following fruit in your character. It will sow love into your soul. You'll overflow with peace. You'll abound with joy. And and have you noticed how each one of those character traits perfectly describes Jesus? Like if you were to take Jesus' name and insert it before each one of those words, it would just slide in seamlessly, wouldn't it? Jesus is love. Jesus is peace. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is long-suffering. Jesus is kind. Jesus is good. Jesus is all of these things. Now what happens When I insert my name, or for that matter, what happens when you try to insert your name? It doesn't quite roll off the tongue for me as well as it does with Jesus. Daniel is loving all the time, but I try. Patient all the time, good, kind, long-suffering. See, I don't always see these character traits at work in my heart, but let me tell you something. As you connect to Jesus, as you draw near to him, As you behold him, and that's what we're doing when we worship, we're beholding his beauty. We're inquiring of his heart. We're drawing near to him. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. As we open his word, we're drawing near to Jesus, and something is happening inside of you. As you draw near to him, he is sowing into you his character so that just like Jesus, you become more loving. Just like Jesus, you become more gentle. Just like Jesus, you have greater self-control. You see, the fruit of Christ-likeness grows in the heart of the believer who draws near to the Lord. This is all the motivation that you need to, to come and plant yourself in the house of the Lord, to open the word, to sit at his feet, so that his character might emanate from you. That's fruitfulness. But that inward character, will then translate into an outward conduct. Does that make sense? The inward character that God sows into us results in godly living in our lives, which is the second form of fruit bearing that we read about in Scripture. You might think of it like this. If your character defines who you are on the inside, your conduct is who you are on the outside. It's what everybody in the world sees. You might think of it like the root and the fruit, the fruit is just an expression of the root and your conduct is an expression of your character. Now, the apostle Paul again draws out this connection for us in his letter to the Colossians where he says this. This is Colossians 1, 10, and 11. Let's read this together out loud as well. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of the Lord. In that verse, it's our work, the work of our hands and our our very lives themselves that are described as producing fruit that pleases pleases the Lord. Here's the beautiful thought buried within that verse. It means as you turn your work into an expression or an extension, if you will, of your worship, it it produces fruit in your life. And that then leads to the third form of bearing fruit that the scriptures talk about, which is conversions. Conversions. You see, when Christ-like character is being formed within you and Christ-like living is flowing through you, the result will be people coming to Jesus all around you. Oh, that's good. That's good. You see, when, when Jesus lives in you and he's working through you, people are attracted not to you, but they're attracted to the Jesus they see in you. You know how it is. Amen. Praise the Lord. There are certain people and you just want to be around them because they they carry a presence. There's there's like a note that releases from their heart. And when they open their lips, you you tune in, you pay attention. And it's not the person, it's Jesus that you're attracted to. And so this is why we want to bear fruit, because this is the whole reason for our existence It's God's desire for every one of us that he might develop his character within us, that he might work through us, and that people all around us would be drawn to the God we know and love. It's what you were made for. So how does this happen? As it turns out, and what we see in our text, is there are two parts to this. There's God's part, and then there's our part. So let's start by talking about God's role. How does God maximize the fruit that comes from our lives? And and we read about this in verses 2 and 3 where it talks about him cutting off every branch in him that doesn't bear fruit and pruning every branch that does bear fruit and then cleaning the branches through his word. So he cuts off dead branches, he prunes fruitful branches, and he cleans Dirty branches. Let's talk about each one of those things. The first thing he does is, as our heavenly vine dresser, the gardener, that's how he's described God as a gardener. I love that image of God. And he's just walking through the garden of your heart, walking through the garden of your soul. And the first thing he does to ensure maximum fruit is he cuts away the dead branches in your life. Listen to something. Nothing, let me say that again, nothing will hinder a vine's ability to produce fruit like dead wood. Why? Because it harbors insects and disease, and it can cause even the healthy part of the vine to rot if it's left alone. And what's true of a vine is equally true of every one of us. If it's true in the natural, it's also a picture of what's happening in the spiritual. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian here tonight, then you have been gifted new life in Christ. You've been raised in newness of life. That means the old you, the sinful, fleshly, fallen, broken version of you, that was pinned to the cross with Jesus on Calvary, praise the Lord. And you were buried with him in the tomb, and you were raised in newness of life. You have a new nature, a new heart, and a new life. A new destiny and a new future. But, That doesn't mean that there aren't some old things from your past that you haven't dragged with you into your new life. You see, my guess is you've probably dragged some of the old tendencies and and some old habits. These things that if left unaddressed, this dead wood, fruitless deeds, sinful patterns, they can threaten and hinder your ability to be fruitful in God, which we've already described in detail, it's what you want, it's what you inherently were built and designed to walk in. See, that's why God goes to work in our lives. And he takes his shears and he begins to cut that stuff out. It may be a harmful habit that he addresses or he removes you from. It might be an unhealthy relationship or it might be an ungodly alliance in your business. And he'll either remove that thing or he'll bring it to your attention so that you can remove yourself from that painful place. Because if you're going to be fruitful, the dead things have to go. So he cuts that dead wood off. But here's what's interesting. The words translated cuts off there in verse two can also be translated lifts up. Now, that's interesting because those are two very different concepts, aren't they? I mean, one, he's carrying it away and throwing it in the fire. The other, he's lifting it up. So which is it? Is he cutting things off from us or is he lifting things up? And the answer, in my opinion, is he does both, right? Certain things need to be cut off and carried away. They have no place in the life of a believer. You know what that stuff is. The works of the flesh. But there are other things that he needs to restore, and he needs to revitalize, and he needs to lift up. Now, what is he talking about there? What does God lift up? It's our mindset. Our mindset needs to be transformed. You see, vines naturally want to trail down and grow along the ground. The problem with that is when they grow along the ground, they end up spending all their strength rooting into the ground instead of producing fruit. So to avoid this problem, what vine dressers will do is they'll go to that tendril, that vine, and they'll gently lift it, and they'll train it and guide it so that it begins to grow along the trellis. It's up off the ground, and now it can use its strength and its resources to produce fruit instead of developing roots. Okay, let's, let's make the transition. Like vines... You and I have this tendency to want to grow down in our thinking. We want to become earthly, worldly in our thinking, and our patterns, and our mindset, and everything we see in this world, everything we're inundated by in terms of advertisements, in terms of social media, in terms of what we take in through news and other outlets on TV or online, it's all trying to conform us into a way of thinking, a worldly way of thinking, and so if we're not careful, we can easily and quickly lose sight of that heavenly perspective, and we'll get rooted to this world. That's why God's word is filled with all of these reminders to lift your eyes up and get your hearts in heaven. Live with a heavenly perspective. One example of this would be Colossians 3, 2, and 3. I want to read this together with you out loud. He says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. A little typo there on my... Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we need to lift our affections, lift our hearts, lift our thinking. This is what we're encouraging one another to do right now. Let's get our eyes on the Lord. Oh, he's what we need. In his presence. You say, I need, I need joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. Oh, I lack peace. He is our peace. I need wisdom. He is the key that unlocks the fountain of wisdom and has all the solutions and all the answers and all the breakthroughs. What you need is to get into his presence. So we lift our eyes, we get our hearts on heaven, amen? Amen. The second thing the father does to maximize fruitfulness in the lives of his kids is he prunes fruitful branches. Now that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? To take a branch that is bearing fruit and prune it? Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Because because God's desire is not that just you would, (laughs) I get too excited. His desire is not just that you would bear fruit, but that you would bear more fruit and that you would bear much fruit. And so sometimes he'll prune fruitful branches so they become abundant in their fruit. You see, in the life of a believer, the reward for fruitfulness is always more pruning. No praise the Lord's or amens on that one. I get it. We need to remember, and we need to remind ourselves of this, that the vine dresser's goal in pruning us is always greater abundance. He doesn't prune us to punish us, but rather to promote greater fruitfulness in our lives. That's, again, it's true of every person in here. Some of you have been feeling lately the, the sharp edge of the shears of the vine dresser's blades in your life. Things are being reduced. Where where do you feel that? Where are you experiencing that? There's a, a cutting back. There's a stripping away. There's a removal of maybe it's overgrowth. Maybe it's some kind of sucker shoots. Maybe it's dead wood. Where is the Lord cutting you back? It's not just evil things, mind you, that he prunes. It's everything that would rob you of his best. Now this process of being pruned, it's something that every child of God goes through and it's not pleasant. But might I encourage you as your pastor to surrender to it, trusting the hands and the care of the vine dresser who knows best how to get the most out of you. And let's just remember for a moment that the the hands that hold those shears, they're hands that have been pierced with a nail. He already proved his love for you. And if he didn't even spare his own son's life, how much more is God freely gonna give you everything in this world? Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Amen? He's not against you. He's with you, and he's for you, and he's only removing those things that are hindering your ability to bear more fruit. Praise the Lord. So he cuts away dead things, he prunes fruitful things, and then he cleans dirty things. You see, we see this in verse 3, and when a vine becomes covered with dirt and mud, its ability to produce fruit again is hindered. So to combat this, what the fine dresser will do is he'll come along and he'll take a rag, a damp rag, or he'll take a hose and he'll gently wash the vines. And the way Jesus does this with us is through his word. How shall a young man cleanse his way, writes the psalmist. Cleanse, how how are we cleansed? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And I love that he hides the word in his heart. He doesn't just hold the word in his hand or put the word in his head. He hides it in his heart. And that's how we're cleansed. It's as we surrender to the power of the word. You see, as we walk through this life, we can't help but get defiled. It happens invariably, inevitably. We get covered with dirt and debris. That's why we need to continually, regularly feast on God's word. It has cleansing power. It cleanses and it purifies. It forges and it fortifies. It strengthens and it, it, it just empowers In Ephesians 5, Paul encourages husbands to wash their wives in the water of the word. Have you been allowing the Lord through the water of his word to cleanse the dirty vines in your hearts? You see, if there's a lack of fruit in your life, my encouragement to you, again, would just be to open God's word. Allow him to cleanse your heart and your soul. There's a, a washing that occurs in the presence of the Lord. This is what our heavenly vine dresser, our gardener, our father, this is what he does in our lives to promote fruitfulness. He removes dead branches. He prunes fruitful branches, and he cleanses or cleans dirty branches. Now, we have a role to play as well. So let's spend a few minutes talking about our role in maximizing fruitfulness, and we read this in verses 4 and 5. Here's what Jesus says. He says, remain in me. That's it. And he says it in like five different ways. Just remain in me. Another way of saying it, stay connected. Or abide. You see, the believer's responsibility in all of this can be summarized in a single word. Remain. Or I, I prefer the old King James in this instance, abide. Abide. Now, the thought of abiding is so central to this concept that Jesus is developing here that he mentions it 11 times in 11 verses. So we need to drill down into that because it's really the key to this whole fruitful life that we inherently are designed to want and desire. So, what does it mean to abide? Well, oftentimes I found that a helpful tool in understanding a concept is to look at its opposite. So, in this case, The opposite of abiding is striving. To strive is to try to make something happen in your own strength. And our world is full of striving, amen? There's a lot of striving going on out there. People striving to get ahead. People striving to catch a break. Striving to force a door open. Striving to earn approval. Earn God's favor. Striving to make it. Striving to find rest. Here's how to tell if you're striving in an area of your life right now. Listen, this is how you know you're striving. Run this, yourself through this grid. Are you exhausted? Are you stressed out? Guilt-ridden? Shame-stricken? Constantly comparing yourself with those around you? Are you burned out? That is all the symptoms of a heart that is striving. And you see it all the time in the church, where people are just... If you're a Christian experience, your relationship with God is an exhausting endeavor. It is an indication that you have been striving. The psalmist said this. This is Psalm 4610. Let's read this together out loud. It's in your notes. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Oh, cease striving, exalt God. Do you notice the the juxtaposition of these two ideas? Striving is all about me and what I can produce and what I can come up with. I got to grow the business. I got to earn God's favor. I got to keep the family together. I got to read my Bible. I got to do this thing so God will be pleased with me. And then what's exalting God? It's getting your eyes off of yourself and redirecting your gaze onto the Lord. I want to point something out to you. That phrase, cease striving in the Hebrew... It's an imperative verb. So it's a command, in other words. And what it literally means or speaks of is it means to let drop or to relax. Even the imagery of striving, it paints a picture of someone with clenched jaw and tight fists. And it's just exerting all the energy you have. And what's the Lord asking us to do? To let go. To relax. What is the Lord asking you to let go of tonight. A frantic, frenzied pace. A critical spirit. A troubled, stress-filled, anxiety-ridden heart. You see, all that striving is doing is just wearing you out. It's keeping you from being able to sleep at night. It's giving you all kinds of digestive problems. It's getting you nowhere. Jesus summarized what striving produces for us in our text when he says, apart from me, you can do Nothing. And the secret meaning of the Greek word for nothing means nothing, right? There is nothing that you can produce in your own strength. So instead of striving, we're called to abide. The Greek word for abide is meno. Everybody say meno. 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 It means to live, to remain, to stay. I like this one. To dwell and to continue. Continue. It's just staying connected. And mind you, it's the most natural thing in the world. Just being connected. Go back to that imagery, that picture of the vine with its branches and the fruit growing on it. You know, my mom lives not too far from here in Escondido. And she's got about a little over an acre of land and and a small little orange grove on her property. And I absolutely love it this time of year because all of her fruit trees are just laden with all this delicious fruit. I mean, she has about, I don't know, 12 orange trees or so. And so we'll go over there and we'll pitch these, pick these oranges. And they're not the, the kind of oranges that you just like peel and eat. These are specifically designed for orange juice. And let me just tell you, they produce some of the sweetest, most amazing, most delicious orange juice you will ever have. Just, oh, it's, it's brilliant. I had some for breakfast this morning. It's a gift from heaven. But here's the thing. There's a process that that fruit goes through as it's being developed, right? And and first there's the bud and then the, the blossom. And that's when you get that, the sweet fragrance. And then the blossom eventually turns into an orange, but it's not ripe, it's the wrong color, it's green. But then as the seasons change, as the temperatures rise, the orange ripens and it's ready to be picked and consumed. Now one thing that I've never experienced is seeing an orange that's just all stressed out. And it's just like thinking, oh my gosh, why am I not growing? I'm still a flower and I see other oranges and they're already you know, taking root and they're taking shape and oh no, I'm the wrong color and I'm still green and I should be orange and what am I gonna do? They're not complaining, they're not stressed out. What do they do? They just abide. They just hang there. They're not stressed because they know as long as I stay connected to the source, I'll have everything that I need to get to where I'm supposed to be. You see, if the fruit of striving is stress, exhaustion, and burnout, then the fruit of abiding is rest. Isn't this what we all want? To just go through life like Jesus. He was never I mean, he had so much on his to-do list. He had three and a half years to transform the world and set in place a group of men who could carry the gospel to the ends of the, the earth. <laughs> but he's never hurried. He's never frantic. He's never stressed out. He's connected to his father. Takes all the pressure off. Instead of pro- focusing on what I can produce, now I'm focused on the Lord. I love this simple little acronym for helping us to remember what abiding means and what it's all about. Ready? This is an acronym for abide. A, always. B, B, I, in. D, dependence. E, every day. And I realize that's two words, but just deal with it. Always be independence every day. What does it mean to abide? Always be independence every day. You know, one of the best prayers that you can pray every morning is: God, I'm choosing in this moment to relax my grip, to open my hands to let go, I'm done striving, I'm done stressing, I'm done straining, I'm done fighting, I'm done wrestling, I'm done trying to make things happen on my own, but I choose in my heart that I'm going to partner with you, I'm gonna stay connected to you. It doesn't mean that you're inactive, it doesn't mean that you don't have a role to play, you still show up, you still give your best, you still do what you can, but you trust the results, to God, amen? Amen. So as we close, amen, praise the Lord. As we close this evening, I just want to leave you with three practical keys to cultivating that connection. And we find all three of these buried there, tucked away in verse 7. As we think about what it means to remain in Jesus, what it means to abide in Jesus, if that truly is the key to bearing fruit, then how do you do that? Jesus points to three keys in our text. And the first is this. If you're going to cultivate your connection to Jesus, then you got to abide in his word. Look what he says in verse seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we need to abide in his word. Jesus draws this connection between his word and him. To allow God's word to abide in you, it's about more than just having a quiet time. You know, you hear a lot about, oh, you gotta have a quiet time, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about spending time with the Lord in his word to the point where his heart begins to shape your heart, where his worldview becomes your worldview. It does no good to cherry pick the parts of the Bible that you agree with and just camp out in those texts and those chapters and those places. You've got to allow the whole uh, whole counsel of God's Word to inform your heart to take Root in your soul and to shape your whole world it, it's, it's getting to know not just the word of God but the heart of God, so that you don't just know the works of God, but you begin to know and walk in his ways. says the children of Israel knew the works of God, but Moses knew his ways and if we're going to abide in God's word, we can't just be Bible students we 've got to allow his word to seep into every one of our pores it's got to. Take root at a heart level. It's got to become more important to us than our daily bread. And Jesus, of course, modeled this for us. He lived by every word that proceeded from God's mouth, and so are are we. The second way you cultivate a connection to Jesus is by abiding in prayer. He says, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And so again, the word for ask, it's essentially this idea of prayer, It's communing with God. Jesus, he lived in a constant state of communion with his heavenly father, didn't he? He was so often in prayer that his disciples approached him one day. They said, you know what? Teach us how to do that prayer thing. Of all the things that they could have asked, they didn't say, teach us how to walk on water, teach us how to turn water into wine, teach us how to heal the sick. No, they said, teach us how to pray. Because when you pray, the world is not the same. And there's a connection between the power that you walk in and the private time you spend in communion with your Father in prayer. And we want that. We see it and we want it. You see, it's in prayer that we learn to hear God's voice. It's how we learn to discern his presence so that at the gentlest moving of his spirit, we discern a change in the wind and we're able to just kind of pivot and go where the spirit leads. It's where we receive our marching orders. So if you want to hear his voice, if you want to know his heart, if you want to understand his ways, then you've got to develop your prayer life. By the way, we gather every Tuesday morning in our bookstore for an hour of just communing with the Lord, praying, seeking his face. you got to abide in prayer. The third way to cultivate your connection with Jesus. Not only do you need to abide in the word and abide in prayer, let me encourage you to abide in fellowship. And I I draw this from Jesus' use of the word you. When he speaks of you in verse 7, it is the second person plural pronoun. In other words, he's saying you all. He's talking to his disciples as a group throughout this passage. He's addressing all of them in in community can i just remind you that your relationship with jesus is not a private affair it is personal but it's not private does that make sense you have to have your own personal walk with god you can't rely on the faith of your parents or your grandparents or your friends you have to have a personal relationship with jesus but it's not private it's a communal endeavor You see, the one another verses of the New Testament underscore this fact. And they tell us to do things like love one another, encourage one another, build one another up. And and it's very communal in its tone. The the truth of the matter is there are aspects of Jesus that I will never learn and can't know apart from my relationship with his people. Because there's things that you bring out and that you reveal of his heart, his nature, that I desperately need. And so your faith inspires mine, and my faith inspires yours. And and so when we gather like this, faith, it's like an incubator for our faith. And I'm, I'm drawn into that place of worship as I see your heart communing with God and so forth. And so we do this together. We connect to him through his word. We connect to him with our hearts as we commune with him in prayer. And we connect to him in community. This is God's desire for your life. It's it's a life overflowing with love and joy and peace and kindness. It's the end of striving. It's the beginning of rest. It's what you were made for. But the only way any of us are ever going to experience this is as we connect to Jesus. Guys, we're not here to just check a box we're not here to just do church. God, save us from just doing church. This isn't another service. This isn't a part of your routine. We're here because this is the house of God. And we are the people of God. He said, my house will be called a house of God prayer for all nations. So we cry out to him. And there are things that he says, I like these things. And when you do these things, it draws me, it woos me, it allures me. And I'm struck by this notion that we could live in such a way and conduct ourselves in such a way and worship in such a way that we win the heart of our father and he inclines his ear and he draws near and he joins our our, our gathering. And, And when that happens, miracles take place, salvations take place, transformations take place. People's lives are not the same because that's what Jesus does. When he walks into the room, everything is different. Possibilities are endless. Impossible gets thrown out the window. That's who our God is. And he says, how this happens is you just remain in me. You just stay connected. Let's connect to him now. Lord, we worship you. You are worthy, worthy, worthy Worthy of all our praise. Worthy of all our worship. Worthy of our lives. And so we lay them down on the altar. I believe the Lord is inviting us in this moment in a fresh way to lay our lives down at the altar. Because the truth is, so often things get in the way and they come between us and him. And if that's happened in your heart, if there's something that has usurped the place, the highest place, the place that ought to be reserved for God and God alone, if there's something, if there's anything other than Jesus on the throne of your heart, something that's a deeper desire, a greater affection in your heart than him. Then he's drawing you back. And the place of rest, the place of renewal, the, the place where you are refreshed is, is in repentance. He said, God, forgive me for allowing my heart to be wooed by lesser things to be drawn away, Jesus, by something other than you. Lord, would you take your rightful place in the throne of our hearts? Become higher, become greater, become bigger, Lord Jesus. We just want to connect to you in this moment. Oh, Jesus, you are everything. You are beauty, your majesty. Just direct your gaze to him. Fight the thoughts that try to distract you. Fight all of the competing thoughts that are vying for your attention and intentionally choose in this moment to direct your gaze upon The lamb. The story of the Bible from beginning to end is the story of the lamb. In Genesis 3.15, we're given the first mention of the gospel. It's it's called the the Proto-Evangelion. And it talks about how the one who is coming, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And from that point forward, the Bible is, is in preparation of this lamb, the lamb that Abraham took and sacrificed on Moriah, the lamb that Moses then instructed the children of Israel to to spill its blood and apply it to the doorposts of the home so that the, the sins of the people could be atoned for, the lambs that were slaughtered year after year in the temple there to atone for the people's sins. It was all pointing to and a picture of and in preparation of the lamb of God who was to come. And then one day John the Baptist comes on the scene And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then we see the Lamb healing. We see the Lamb restoring. We see the Lamb giving sight to the blind. We see the Lamb going to the cross and bearing the sins of the world. We see the Lamb being laid in a tomb. And then we see the Lamb triumphant, rising from the grave. And we see him seated now on the throne. And when John, in the book of Revelation, looks at the throne, it says, I beheld a Lamb as though it had been slain from before the foundations of the world. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the desire of all nations. He is the reason for your being, and He is inviting you to connect with Him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.